Hello and welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. If you'd like to support our ministry or find out more about us, you can do so at therighteousremnant.org. All right, welcome to the Righteous Remnant podcast. Um, this week we're going to be talking about um, the Mike Bickle situation at IHOP, that's the International House of Prayer. Um, I'll confess this is a really hard one for me to do. Um It'll, that'll become obvious as to why as we talk about it. Um, but this whole situation has really been so difficult, and I feel like I've been grieving for the past couple months. Um, and just to say right up front, the you know, because I I've held Mike Bickle in pretty high regard. Um, he not just his messages. I've I've probably listened to maybe like twenty or thirty messages over the years from Mike Bickle. I do not have any kind of personal relationship with him, but he is someone that I have considered one of the safer and healthier leaders around. Um, I always appreciate, I felt like he was pretty biblically balanced. Um, you know, even in the areas where he got kind of weird, like when he would talk about all the, um, you know, Song of Solomon stuff. I remember when he did, <laughs> you know, I know that's kind of old IHOP stuff now, but you know, it's pretty core to their teachings and stuff like that. But when they used to talk about the Song of Solomon stuff, it would get kind of weird sometimes. But I always appreciated that he would really try and clarify, hey, when we talk about, you know, Jesus kissing us with the kisses of his mouth, we're not meaning like literally, <laughs> we mean like revelations from his word. So he, he really tried to clarify um and bring it back down to earth even when it kind of seemed to get weird <laughs> which doesn't always happen in charismatic circles right so i've just appreciated him and he seemed you know he he seemed pretty down to earth and um you know i, I remember when i um really wanted to leave my my um church in berkeley i helped plant a church um there several years ago and I got to a point where I was just really hurt and I just needed a break from ministry and I just wanted to I remember I, I just wanted to go to a healthy ministry where I could just seek the Lord for a season and just heal and I remember I just told the Lord God I would really like to go to IHOP you know and I prayed I prayed for about a year and a half for um, permission from the Lord to leave because I, I had felt like he had called me there initially and so my rule of thumb is that I don't leave um, if I feel like God told me to go there initially, then I feel like I need a word from the Lord to leave. And um, I didn't get it for a year and a half. And I was praying pretty much every day. <laughs> that's, you know, that's how hurt I was. And I, I just really wanted to go. Um, and a lot of it was aimed, I was, I was praying that the Lord would let me go to IHOP or to um, Morningstar, which is, you know, in South Carolina where Rick Joyner is. Um, because Rick Joyner and Mike Bickle are two leaders that I've highly respected over the years. Um, and, you know, I've read some of their books. I've read most of Rick Joyner's books. Um, but, you know, Mike Bickle's somebody that um, I've, I've always just appreciated. And I appreciate the House of Prayer. I've loved that um, ministry DNA. And he is, you know, considered one of the main pioneers, if not the main pioneer of the House of Prayer movement, and that's something that's still very core and central to my DNA. So, um, talking about him in, in, in everything that's happened, um, it's hard. It's hard, okay? Um, so, I, I'm not, you know, trying to hide that, and, you know, I've been wrestling with this issue over the past two months, you know, and um, initially when the allegations first came out, um, I remember I was I was a little bit upset, right? I was a little bit upset because 
I knew um, I knew that it was going to cause drama, <laughs> right? Like the first allegations that I saw personally um, was a public letter um, by former leaders at IHOP. It was like Brian Kim, who you know I know a little bit, and um, Dwayne Roberts, and you know some of, some of these leaders that you know have some respect in in the House of Prayer circles, right? These are respected figures, and um, you know, they released a public statement saying that um, they believe these allegations against Mike Bickle. Um, and initially, I was I was upset about it, um, not because I was sure that they had done something wrong. It wasn't that. It was just because I knew that there was going to be drama, right? And, you know, these are people that I respect and I love. And, you know, we've seen a good amount of drama in the body of Christ um, over the past several years. And um, it's hard when it, when it strikes home. And so, you know, I've been paying attention to the situation. I've commented it on it in, in the past. And my general, you know, encouragement in the past was, hey, let's wait, right? Before we jump to any conclusions, let's wait until there is an investigation. And um, unfortunately, we still really haven't gotten there. Um, you know, if I can just kind of break down what's going on for those who are, are not you know, as informed on this, um, there's basically been a series of allegations. Okay, initially there was a, a an allegation from a, a person that w- did not want to be named, and which is understandable in these types of situations. And so she's just been referred to as the primary Jane Doe. And there's been a couple different, you know, Jane Does who have who have come come along with allegations. And um, the primary allegation, as far as I understand it, was that about you know 20 years ago or a little over 20 years ago. Um, Mike Bickle had some inappropriate um, sexual um, incidents with this girl. And it happened a number of times, and they both considered it wrong. They both repented, um, but it did happen. And um, there were some alarming details about this, like the idea that um, she was told that Mike Bickle's wife was going to die. Um, They believed that she was going to die early, and that Mike Bickle would have to remarry, and that she could potentially remarry her, right? And that was pretty alarming because that now gets into areas of prophetic abuse, right? Um, if prophecies like that are are going out, and then, um, um, but it seemed like there were more allegations than that, and eventually Mike Bickle actually confessed to this one. All right, um, I believe it, it was to this this series of accusations. He admitted that over 20 years ago, he had um, inappropriate sexual encounters with this girl. He believed that he had repented of it fully and um, that it was, quote unquote, under the blood or, you know, like he believed that he had done what he needed to do to rightfully repent of that, okay? Um, But there were further allegations. Um, And the, the second one, that I'm really aware of is the issue concerning Mike Bickle's son. And apparently Mike Bickle's son was in an affair with another married woman um, in IHOP. And that this was known to several of the leaders. And basically the accusation is that Mike Bickle essentially tried to cover it up, right? Um, I've heard, you know, a, a competing narrative that Mike Bickle was pressured to publicly rebuke his son, but he didn't want to do that because um, he wouldn't publicly rebuke another person in that situation. Um, so it didn't 
make sense for him to do that for his son. So that's that's a more sympathetic view of, of Mike Bickle's actions during this, right? But the accusation on the other side was that there was something manipulative in the way that he acted and controlling and deceitful, right? And the problem with those types of behaviors is because they they point to something that's that's being hidden, right? And I had heard that there were other Jane Doe's that had come forward, but I had never heard what their specific story was. And so I didn't know how to gauge, you know, those other potential stories. And then there was the issue that some people had felt like they were put on a list of Jane Doe's, but they never had a negative encounter with Mike Bickle, and they were resentful that they had been put on this type of a list. And to give the counter narrative to that, um, I also read online that um, this list was really just a working document. They were compiling a list of people that were potentially, you know, they had heard might have had negative encounters. So it wasn't intended to be a finalized list. It was really just intended to be like a working list of, of people that they should look into just to make sure that nothing had happened. But it got miscommunicated as, as a list of all these, you know, Jane Doe's. So this whole thing has been messy. Okay. It's been super messy. And that's why it's been really hard to um, comment on. Um, one thing I've appreciated is that it seems like both sides know that it's messy. And they've wanted an outside independent investigator that they can do a full investigation. And that's where the drama has really kind of exploded on this issue. Because um, for whatever reason, they haven't been able to agree on that outside party. And there's kind of two groups here. There's the the first group is the advocacy group, and these are the people that represent um, these women who have been harmed, and they're composed of mostly, you know, former leaders at IHOP that believe some of these stories. You know, they have a relationship with some of these people, and now they're publicly putting it out there. Okay, that's the advocacy group, and then there's the ELT or the executive leadership team, which are the you know the the team of leaders at IHOP, and um, apparently. Early on in the process, both sides were on the same page. Yes, let's get an independent investigation that we both agree on, and let's do this right. It, it seems um, that, that that was clearly the plan initially. And then it seems like it kind of broke down. And it's not totally clear to me why. I should clarify, I do not have inside information. I do know some people at IHOP, but I haven't talked to them about this issue, right? All the information that I'm you know, talking about is publicly available information. And that's because it's been all over social media, right? Um, IHOP Casey has been trending on Twitter several times, <laughs> which grieves my heart in all of this, right? Um, but it seems like that's where the breakdown has happened. And insofar as I understand, um, there was an incident where Alan Hood, who is one of the main members of the advocacy group and former leader at IHOP, he um, flew to Kansas City and he met with the, you know, current, leader of IHOP, a man named Kurt Fuller, um, who's often called General Fuller. And I don't really understand why we're using his military title here. <laughs> okay, but in any case, they met. And um, what seems to have happened is that um, Kurt Fuller asked um, Alan if he was involved in filming any documentaries while he was here in Kansas City. And um, because he apparently had heard a rumor that they were going to film this documentary that was maybe an attack on IHOP or on Mike Bickle or something like that. And Alan Hood said, no, he's not doing a documentary like that. Um, but what he was doing was filming a, um, you know, a video for YouTube that they were going to publish to, to, you know, share 
kind of their side of the story, the advocacy group side of the story. And um, and those videos did come out. I watched those videos. And, you know, they just share, you know, how their basic heart in those videos was, hey, we do not have an agenda to take down IHOP. We love Mike Bickle. We respect him. Um, but we're seriously concerned and we want a real investigation. And they're concerned um, because they feel like there's there's control and manipulation involved. Right. And, um, you know, one of the 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 key things that they shared in those series of videos was that Mike Bickle preached a message about, you know, I, I didn't watch the message, but from what they said, it seemed like he said that God told them, or there was a prophetic element to it, that there was going to be betrayal, right? That people were going to betray um, IHOP. And that to them seemed so manipulative and controlling and deceitful because it seemed like he was trying to prepare the IHOP community to reject and resist these accusations, right? And um, and so this combination of events um, seemed to have poisoned the well in the sense that Kurt Fuller, the the leader, current leader of IHOP, felt like he'd been lied to by Alan Hood, and so he felt like they were acting in bad faith. And then Alan Hood felt like you know Mike Bickle was you know already starting to try to control the narrative and already being controlling and deceitful, and so. It went early on from feeling like, okay, we're all trying to get at the same thing, which is the truth, to both sides feeling like the other side's not acting in good faith and and distrust and all this kind of stuff. And so what happened was the ELT hired their own investigator um, that for reasons that I don't know, the advocacy group does not trust. And they are continuing to press for a different investigation the results of ihop's investigation have come out and you know the investigator did find that mike bigel had acted inappropriately and that he had abused his power but they didn't really get into many details right that first jane doe incident mike bickle confessed to okay he confessed to he said that i i did that and you know that situation in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. It is a big deal, obviously, right? But it, insofar as what was being hinted at, it wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, the, the woman was, you know, an adult. I believe she was 19, which is still alarming, absolutely, but it, it's still adult. It, it's consensual. They both repented, right? And, you know, if it was just that and... Mike Bickle confessed and it was done, then I don't think this would be that big of an issue, although it obviously still would be something of a scandal. Um, but the issue with Mike Bickle's son felt like there was more there. And then this preaching of this message of, hey, we're going to be betrayed, this seemed to point towards a bigger cover-up. And so there was a lot of speculation amongst people like, is there more going on here? Is there more? And um, last night, a story was published by the Kansas City newspaper, I think it's called the Kansas City Star, um, that gives a detailed account of another woman. This is the third incident now, um, and her name is Tammy. She's not a Jane Doe. She gave her full name, and people in the community know this woman, okay? Like, they know she is a friend of Mike Bickles from a long time ago. 
And she shared her full story. And this one is extremely damaging because in her story, um, this happened when she was 14 years old. Okay, when she was 14 years old, she claims um, to have had a similar type of relationship with Mike Bickle, where initially she was babysitting his children. And that turned into a, you know, a romantic um, incident. Now, Mike Bickle was, was married during this time, and she was 14. <laughs> and um, and, it, and it, was, it was something where, you know, she said he felt really bad. He re- tried to repent several times, but it was something that he you know, they kept falling into something like that. And um, eventually he moved away. And um, she promised that she would keep it a secret because she knew how damaging it could be for him. And so for years, I mean, she's, you know, I believe she's in her 60s now. She's a grandmother now. So she's been holding on to the secret for decades and decades, believing that it was just this one-time thing with Mike Bickle. And by keeping keeping it secret, she was protecting him and his reputation. And see, he was doing all this good ministry. And so she was doing a good thing by, by keeping it secret. But when she heard these different allegations of what had happened with these other women and that the stories were so similar, right, that she had been led to believe that Diane, Mike Bickle's wife, was going to pass away and that she could potentially marry Mike. And all these women had been keeping a secret, potentially all these women, right? We, we don't know exactly how many there are at this point. Um, she felt like she had been fooled, right? And that she wasn't just a singular person, but that she was one of, you know, maybe several or many. And so she came forward with her story and it was published last night um, in the Kansas City newspaper. And um, it definitely seems at this point that the tide has really turned against Mike Bickle. Jeremiah Johnson released a word that he had had a vision back in November that the Lord was exposing Mike Bickle. Um, and November, that was, you know, shortly after the initial allegations came out. Everybody, it seems, is calling for a, a new investigation, an, invest, an impartial investigation, right? It, it seems like most people don't really trust the investigation that has already happened for whatever reason. I mean, it didn't it didn't pull up Tammy's story, right? That's brand new. That's not in the, the original investigation. So it does seem to me that there does need to be a more thorough investigation. And I'll simply say I've been kind of watching um, from the outskirts. And I'll, I'll say that as I've been watching, I have been really disturbed by this because um, – People are attacking him so much. Like, I've heard so many things online saying that he's a false shepherd, saying, you know, that he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, saying that the executive leadership team at IHOP, you know, that they're acting in, in purposefully deceitful ways, protecting him, covering stuff up. And, um, you know, my position has really just been, I don't know. I don't know, you know. But my general rule of thumbs, I really try to give people the benefit of the doubt, right, unless proven otherwise. And, um, and... This has given, obviously, everyone can, you know, ammunition to fire against not just Mike Bickle and IHOP, but against the prayer movement, right, against charismatics in general, right, like, and it's it's just so sad to me seeing the body of Christ fighting in public. Like I said, the, the hardest part about this is that it's been trending on Twitter, and to me, it just grieves my heart so much because when Christians fight publicly, I believe it brings shame to the church, it brings shame um, to the name of Jesus. It hurts our witness, and so you know, for me, I I, I have such um, a desire to see the church unified, and so this it's like the opposite, right? This is this is 
the church dividing even more. And and this is the part of the church that I love maybe the most, right? I love the house of prayer and I love, um, you know, I, I, I love these leaders and, and these people and, and this is hard. And, um, and it's, and it's shaming for me. I, I, someone who has, you know, spoken well about IHOP and about the house of prayer and about Mike Bickle in particular. And so th- this is hard. Okay. Um, I will say that, you know, I, I think there should be a fuller investigation, but as things stands right now, I do think these allegations are credible. Um, obviously we can't know everything for sure before the judgment day, but if I were in a place of authority at IHOP, I would be treating these allegations as credible. So where do we go from here? <laughs> okay, where do we go from here? Um, I think there's a number of issues to talk about, and I'll you know be clear that I am processing through this with along with a lot of other people. Okay, so I want to give some of my perspective. A number of people have you know asked me um, about this issue, which I, I totally understand, and so I want to give my perspective. But I just want to make it clear, like I'm I'm. I, I don't have outside inform or inside information. Um, I'm processing this along with everybody else. Okay. Um, the the first thing I'll say is this: I believe we do need to give grace for Mike Bickle, and I do believe that this whole incident is grace for Mike Bickle. Okay. And I say that because one of the things I'm I'm really passionate about is this idea of we have to come before the judgment seat of Christ. All right. Um, that's largely because of Mike Bickle's influence. I heard some of his messages early on on the subject, and um, it fit with a lot of what I felt like I saw in the Bible. And so I remember I really took a season where I studied this in depth. And um, you know, this idea that there's going to be a judgment for believers based on our works, right? That we, you know, there's, there's, we're saved on the, on the basis of our faith and not according to works, but our rewards are distributed on the basis of works. That's an idea that that I got a lot of influence from Mike Bickle on. He helped me grab hold of that idea, and then I've been kind of studying it on my own, you know, over the past you know five, six, seven years now. Okay, um, but one of the things I appreciated about Mike Bickle is one of the phrases that he would say is this idea of "Lord, shock me now," right? And and the idea there is that he didn't want to be shocked on the day of judgment because he thought that Jesus' standards were different than they actually are, right? That is the nightmare for all of us, that we show up on the day of judgment expecting that we would be rewarded by the Lord, that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant, right? That's what I I believe all Christians want to hear those words on that day. But we don't want to be shocked. And on that day, the Lord looks at us and says either, I never knew you, (laughs) or he says, you know, you wicked, lazy servant, right? Or something along those lines. I don't know about you, I want God to shock me now, right? Like, so I really appreciated when Mike Bickle um, preached messages on that topic, um, because I I got that heart, you know, an impartation of the heart from him, (laughs) right? Like, he was the one that preached that, and I've I felt the rightness of that so much that I've prayed that prayer, you know, several times in my own life, right? And, um, you know, and it would appear that God is shocking Mike Bickle now, (laughs) right? It would appear, um, you know, if I had to guess Mike's understanding of this, I would guess that he was like, hey, 
these are sins that I committed in my past and I repented of them. And then, you know, I, I fell into them again and I repented, but you know, I, but I was always faithful to repent. And so I would hope that there's going to be mercy shown to me on the day of judgment for these things. Okay. And, um, and I understand that mentality, right? I understand that mentality. And what it seems to me is that God is exposing Mike Bickle on these things. Because this is my guess, that Mike believed that he had repented for many of these sins, even though he had fallen into them, you know, again, but he believed they were in the category of sin where you could just repent, you know, privately. Maybe he repented, you know, to his wife or to some close confidants, right? And he believed that that was sufficient repentance for these things. But it seems likely to me that it was not, from God's perspective, considered a full repentance. Surely, maybe a partial repentance, but if you know, especially if we're talking about you know a fourteen-year-old girl, I mean, this is stuff that you know you go to jail for, right? This is stuff that um, if people know about it, they don't go to your church or your ministry, right? That that that's that, that's the level of stuff, and I'm sure he knew that, which is why I would guess if this is true, if all this is true, I would guess that he wanted this to remain secret, okay? And, um, you know, it might have been a thing where he's like, hey, maybe God forgives me, but I know people won't, <laughs> right? So I'll repent to the Lord and, and, and maybe to these trusted people that I, I really trust, but I'm not going to publicly acknowledge this sin because that would end, you know, my reputation and, you know, maybe I would have to go to jail and maybe, you know, no, nobody would, would respect me anymore or forgive me or anything and I think that's pretty understandable. <laughs> I think that's I think that's pretty understandable because we're going to see what happens now, right? But when there's secrets like this that we feel like we have to cover up, it leads us into other sin, right? Like it seems like there was this thing where he felt like he had to control the narrative and make sure people stayed quiet about this type of thing. And all of that seems to suggest a not full repentance, Right? Like when you fully repented of something, you don't have anything to hide anymore. Right? Like that's that's how it is. And it seems like there was still something here. And so the reason why I say that I think this was grace for Mike Bickle is because my understanding of how this works is that on the day of judgment, our sins will be counted against us. And if we fully repent of sins, I, th- I think that will mitigate the loss that we face. Right? So I think will get rewards for all of our righteous deeds. Our greater righteous deeds will receive greater rewards. Our lesser righteous deeds will receive lesser rewards, right? And I think those will be counted against our sins. So in whatever way that we have outstanding sin that we've never repented for, I think that will take away from those rewards, right? And maybe if we have major sin that we truly have repented for, it will take away from our rewards, but in a lesser way, something like that, right? That's This is my paradigm of how this works, all right? And so... If I had to guess, the Lord is exposing Mike Bickle right now for the sake of his eternal judgment. Because this might have been an area where Mike did not have the ability to fully repent of it. It doesn't seem like it, from my perspective. It seemed like he probably repented of it partially, but there was going to be a major you know, loss on the day of judgment. And so, by in God's mercy, he brought about this exposure for Mike Bickle. Um, Obviously, I think there's multiple reasons for that, right? It wasn't just for Mike, but I think one of the reasons that the Lord did it was 
um, to help Mike Bickle on the Day of Judgment. Okay, um, I think that that's a grace for Mike Bickle. Okay, now the question: it, Does this make Mike Bickle false teacher? Is he a false teacher? All right, my answer to that is no. All right, my answer to that is no. All right. I think it, it would make him a false teacher if he had taught something like, hey, you know, if, if you sin, um, that's okay, right? God's grace is there. You don't need to repent. Or, or, or maybe, you know, you just repent once. You know, that's hypergrace theology, right? You just repent once, and then you never have to repent again, okay? Um, I think that those things would make him a false teacher. But I, I, I think he taught that the type of thing that he did was wrong, <laughs> right? Um, I think, you know, a false teacher is somebody who preaches clear heresy, okay, meaning um, severe, serious, unorthodox doctrine. Something like, you know, Jesus never rose from the dead, okay, or there's many ways to heaven, okay. Those types of serious heresies, I think, would make somebody a false teacher. And I think um, if you preach grace as a license for sin, I, I believe that's the what you know, Peter and Jude talk about when they're, when they're talking about false teachers and they're talking about practicing sin yourself and teaching others that they can sin and it's okay because God's grace covers them. Then I would think that would make you a false teacher. Okay. Um, I never heard anything like that in Mike Bickle's preaching. Okay. I never heard an encouragement to continue sin because it's okay. Right. I never heard that. I always heard, you know, we should repent and um, all of that. So, I do not regard Mike Bickle as a false teacher or a wolf in sheep's clothing, okay? I don't. I consider him a good man of God that has serious weaknesses, all right? And I don't know, in the grand scheme, how great he is, right? Like, I'm, I, who does, <laughs> right? Like, Jesus is literally the only one who knows how great each person is because he's the only one that sees the, the entirety of a person's works and the intentions of their hearts, these are things that are impossible for us to see. So, you know, if we're looking at a scale, like previous to all of this, you know, all of these allegations, I probably would have put Mike Bickle pretty high in terms of, you know, if I had to guess who's going to be greatly rewarded at the judgment, I would have guessed Mike Bickle would have been pretty up there. Now, I'm like, I don't know, I still think he's he's going to get a lot of rewards. <laughs> okay. But I do think he's going to suffer some serious loss for for these sins in his life. Okay, um, I I don't put him in the in the camp of being a false teacher. There's so many people online saying that at this point. I don't. I know what he did was wrong, and and the control and the manipulation. I don't know how much of that he did. I'm you know I'm just seeing it from afar. Yeah, some of that stuff can be really bad. Okay, and um, those things will seriously count against his works. So it could be when he gets to judgment. That he's in that camp where he gets no rewards, right? As, as Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 3, one is who's barely saved through the flames. That's possible, okay? I don't know the scope of his sin or the scope of his righteousness. Okay, I don't. But I am personally not prepared to put him in the camp of people who say he's not a Christian and that he's not saved or he's a false teacher, all that kind of stuff. Insofar as I can tell, the effect that he's had on my life has been very positive, meaning the fruit that he's born for me personally, I believe has been positive. Now, it may be 20 years down the line, I'll be like, man, all of that, you know, all of that, I, you know, house of prayer stuff, I realize it was wrong, not biblical, 
and then I'll reassess and be like, okay, Mike Bickle, <laughs> no positive fruit. <laughs> okay, All right, but where I am now today, no, I, I think that he does have some good fruit, um, and I, I think he has a lot of good fruit. Okay, um, this is this is a really tough issue, but <clears throat> this is something I, I, I do want to go in depth and talk about because. I think there's been a lot of error and misunderstanding on how all of this works, okay? I said before that to the degree that we idolize leaders, we will tend to demonize them, okay? I think that's a major problem in the body of Christ, all right? Where we are idolizing leaders for things that don't deserve that level of respect. And they're things like, Flashy gifts, um, spiritual gifts, like public speaking, like singing really well, like prophecy, like really accurate prophecy, stuff like that, okay? Those things, I think, have worth. But we as humans tend to overestimate how res- how much respect we should give those things. And I don't think that's because we're stupid as Christians. That's just a people thing, right? Like, there's no reason why we should idolize people like Taylor Swift <laughs> or Michael Jackson, right? Like... This is a human thing, okay? And, and it works the same way in the church, okay? So I'm not trying to say the church is particularly bad. I'm just trying to say in in this way, we're like the world, where we give these types of things too much respect, in my opinion, okay? Um, and the danger is that to the degree that we idolize somebody, if when we find their flaws, we can go to the other side and we can demonize them. And seeing people as, as, as either good or bad, and if you're good, you have no faults, and if you're bad, you know, you only have faults or something like that, right? Or your faults are so great that they totally outweigh whatever good you might have. And that that paradigm is simply false, in my opinion. It's simply false, all right? All people are a mixture of good and bad. And this is one of the things I've really tried to teach, you know, in my preaching, is that all leaders have strengths and weaknesses, real weaknesses. I'm not talking about a weakness like, oh, that leader can't cook that well, all right? That's not a real weakness, <laughs> okay? <laughs> a real weakness is like, hey, they have control issues, or hey, you know, they have sexual sin in their life, or hey, you know, they are dishonest in some ways, right? Like, real weaknesses, okay? In my experience working with leaders in the body of Christ, I've seen many weaknesses. I've really had to wrestle with them because these are people that I've looked up to, you know, pastors I've looked up to, and then you experience one of their major weaknesses, right? And, And it hurts. It really hurts. So I have a lot of you know, um, empathy for a lot of the IHOP people because this must be so hard for them. It really hurts when when one of the people that you really look up to is found to have major weaknesses, especially when they're used against you, (laughs) right? It's so painful. Like, I I had to spend, you know, years of my life, (laughs) you know, forgiving people um, that I had great respect for but whose weaknesses really hurt me. So it's a hard thing, and I understand that. And part of my heart in doing this podcast is I want to help people that are struggling through that process of, you know, was I just duped this whole time? Was I a fool to have ever respected him in the first place? And my answer to that is no, I don't I don't think so. <laughs> because I think we also see people in the Bible with major weaknesses, all right? Um, obviously, I've, I've mentioned before King David. He had such a major weakness, you know, more than one. Um, but he is still worthy of great respect, in my opinion. And that's the tension that we live in in this life, and, and I would say that there is a, a, a good side to this, meaning this, I don't know about you, but for me, I've felt disqualified in my life because of my weaknesses. I have many weaknesses, I'll just give one, all right? Um, one of the things I struggle with is I feel like I'm not a very good manager, all right? Um, like I know other leaders 
that are very good managers, right? Um, and I don't, con I'm not one of them, <laughs> okay? One of the first things that I always do as a leader is I try to find good managers and I try to empower them because I need their help in ministry, <laughs> okay? Like a really good manager really plans well for his ministry, um, is detail-oriented, um, these types of things. I'm, as a leader, I'm bad at that stuff, okay? I'm bad at remembering small details. I'm bad at remembering people's names and their birthdays. Like, these are things that I would, I think it it's so helpful when a leader is good at these things, okay? Like, I feel really blessed. I remember um, I have a, a mentor, and this guy has, like, hundreds of spiritual kids everywhere. And, um, you know, he would call me and be like, hey, Dennis, you know, how's your wife doing? You know, how's Hannah? And, you know, how's that thing you were struggling with? And he would remember these details of my life, even though he's got like hundreds of spiritual kids. And some of these people are like, you know, senior pastors of like mega churches around the world. And like, these are, these are fruitful and famous people. And I'm like some little pastor at a, at a Korean church. <laughs> and he remembers, you know, these details of my life, my life. And I'm like, I don't know how you do that. You know, I would tell him, I don't know how the heck you, <laughs> how do you do this? <laughs> because he has gifts that I don't have, and I consider I consider it a, a major weakness, right? And I I say that because as a leader, like I feel like you can't use me in the ways that I want you to use me because of my weaknesses. And my point is this: that even though you feel like you have real weaknesses, God can still use you. He really can. All right. And I think. There is there's this religious thing in the body of Christ where we feel like righteousness is having no sin, <laughs> okay, and and no major weaknesses, but I don't think that's quite it, okay. Righteousness is not perfect morality in the sense that you never sin, okay. I'm convinced that's not the best definition of righteousness, okay. David considered, you know, I've been doing this Bible study on David recently. He did some so many jacked up things, okay? When he conquered the Moabites, he killed two-thirds of them. Like, decimation. You know, in, in the ancient Roman armies, they used to do this thing called decimation for a rebellious, you know, military unit where they'd kill every tenth man. And that was considered, like, one of the most terrible punishments. David killed two-thirds of them. Like, that is insane, right? That would be such a, a horrendous war crime today. Okay, he raided towns and villages when he was living with the Philistines. He raided towns and villages. He killed all the women and all the children so that they wouldn't tell on him. He did, by today's standards, he did some evil stuff. All right. And yet he's held in the highest regard in Scripture. Okay, and obviously the Bathsheba incident. Okay, there's, there's a lot of stuff that this guy did. It's not because David didn't do things that I think the Lord considered wrong. Okay, it's because of what David did right that he was considered righteous, that he sought after the Lord's heart genuinely, that he genuinely tried to obey the real directives, that he honored God's people, Israel. I've, I've tried to talk about this on the podcast before, but the definition of biblical righteousness, I think, is different than we tend to grow up with. And, and the reason why I'm bringing attention to it now is because we look at leaders who have moral failings and there's often this voice that goes up, they should never be in ministry again. And I there's something in me that just rejects that idea. And because as a pastor, I'm trying to convince people that struggle with real sin that God can use you. 
even if you're struggling with this thing, it, that it's, it's not about you being morally perfect. It's about you saying yes to God, even though you know you have areas of brokenness in your life, right? But saying, God, even though I have these areas of brokenness, would you use me, God? And I think the answer to that is yes. And I think a lot of times we disqualify ourselves not because God isn't willing to use us, but because we feel like we're too weak and too broken to be used by God. Something like that. And to me, these two issues seem all mixed up when we're talking about these scandals in the church, right? And my my heart is this. I think God can still use Mike Bickle. I don't, you know, should he still be, should he be the senior pastor of a church at this point? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, he is pretty old. He's He's about at the age that most people retire, right? Like, so I don't expect that he's going to be the senior leader at IHOP ever again or at any other ministry. Um, and that's probably right, okay? But let's say that, let's say that this happened when Mike, you know, was, was 40, right? That all this stuff came out. I think a lot of people would be like, he should never be in ministry again. And my response is, no, I, I don't agree with that. I just don't, okay? Should he be held accountable I think the answer to that is yes, of course, all right? In in this case, we're talking about sexual assault against a minor, right? This is the kind of stuff that you go to jail for, right? Should Mike Bickle have gone to jail? In humility, I have to think yes, all right? If there had been true repentance at that time period, I think, look, this is hard, this is hard for me to say, okay? Because in humility, I do don't think I've committed um, a crime that would require me to go to jail, okay? I, I just want to say this, you know, because it would be another thing if I did and I did go to jail and, and, and I'm standing on the other side and I'm saying, yes, you should confess and go, but I'm not in that situation, so I have to speak with humility on this because I don't know what I would do, right? Just in humility. If I, if I did something like this, would I be able to then go, you know what? The right thing to do is to turn myself in to confess my crimes and to go to jail. Like, that is so hard. <laughs> That's so difficult. So, in humility, I have to say, I don't know if I would have the character and the moral fiber to say yes to that. But I can but I can access another part of my brain and say, but should I? And I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. I think Mike Bickle should have, when he was like 40 years old, should have confessed to all of this, turned himself into the police if that's what was necessary, and accepted going to jail, right? And a lot of people say, well, that's as good as him disqualifying himself from ministry forever. And my answer is, no, I don't think so. Because I think there is redemption on the other side of repentance. True repentance, right? I, I think Jesus did all his, his important ministry in three years of his life. I don't think God needs a ton of time to bear incredible fruit through a person. So, when we're looking at Mike Bickle's fruit, I do think he bore a lot of fruit over his, you know, what, 40 years of ministry or whatever. Like, this guy's in ministry for so long. I think he did bear a lot of fruit. I think, though, that if he had repented, fully repented, and gone to jail, and then gotten out, you know, and then done ministry, I think he would have borne even more fruit. And this is all hypothetical, <laughs> okay? I don't, I can't say that I know any of this for sure, Right? But I think that would have been the right way to do it, okay? So, Mike Bickle bore fruit over these 30 years. I think it's a substantial amount of fruit. But I think if we do it the right way, then he could have borne even more without this type of reproach on his life, okay? But is Mike Bickle due honor? And I think, yeah, I think so, all right? 
I am still determined to give him honor, right? And all the information has not come out. There, there might be three, four, five more women that share this a similar story. I mean, that's hard to believe that it, it could be, but it's possible. We don't know, okay? I still think he's worthy of honor. I think we should give honor where honor is due. And this principle is, you know, I, I counsel a lot of young adults. And one of the most important things that I tell young adults is, hey, a huge part of becoming an adult is learning to regard your parents correctly. And what that means is that, you know, when you're growing up, you don't, you can't regard your parents objectively because you don't have anything to compare them to. You just have your own household, right? Your own family growing up. That's how it was, right? I didn't know that other kids, you know, didn't get yelled at if they got bees, right? That's just how it worked in my family, right? But then as you get older, you see how it works in other families. And now what's happening is you're able to judge your parents from a more objective place, right? Now you're able to see, oh, what they did here was wrong. <laughs> they they sinned against me in this way. And when I, you know, when I was young, I didn't know that it was sin, right? I just, it hurt, but I didn't know that it was wrong. But when you get older, you're able to see the weaknesses of your parents and the sins they committed against you. And that's a good thing. That's important. You have to see the sin. Otherwise, you'll commit the same sins that your parents committed to you, against you, right? No, you've got to see their sin. But then what you have to do is you have to work towards understanding them and forgiving them fully for the ways that they sinned against you. That's that's maturity, right? And maturity is found on the other side of that process where now you remember, you know your parents' weaknesses, you know all the sins that they've done, but you have forgiven them fully from your heart. And now you can see their strengths and their weaknesses clearly, and you're so grateful for their strengths. You're grateful for the ways that they actually cared for you and provided for you and protected you, and you acknowledge and honor them for those things, right? But you've forgiven them for their sins, so you're not committing the same sins against your own children, right? Like, that's that's maturity, and that principle, I think, applies here, right? We should see Mike Bickle's sin clearly and the sins of anyone else involved in all of this kind of stuff so that we don't perpetuate the same systems of sin. But, in my opinion, we should still give him honor, and that's because you know, the third major thing I want to talk about, which is, this is the fear of the Lord, brothers and sisters, okay? It seems to me like God has been judging the church, right? You know, we had the the Catholic priest scandal. You know, this was now like 20 years ago or something like that, but I remember pretty clearly where it just seemed like the news all the time was this Catholic priest has been exposed as, you know, sexually assaulting, you know, these, these young boys. And I remember be like, oh my gosh, this is so evil. This is so crazy, right? And it was bringing disgrace upon the name of Jesus. And part of my heart was like, well, it's the Catholic, so, you know, I'm not Catholic. And But then it, it, it kept going. It wasn't just the Catholic priest, right? I feel like for the past decade, it's been the evangelical sex scandals, right? We've had the Ravi Zacharias. We've had the Willow Creek Bill Hybels guy. We've had Hillsongs, right? It, it just seems like there's this, all of these different sex scandals being exposed in the evangelical Protestant church. And then in 2020, you, you had, from what my perspective is, like the pruning of the church, like the the, sh- the church shutdowns and where congregations all over America lost like a third to half of their, their congregants, right? This se- It seemed to me like a pretty clear judgment and a pruning in the body of Christ. So from my perspective, this is a judgment that has come upon the church, and the Lord is purifying the church right now. And 
that should make us afraid. I, I just want to say this, as, as church leaders, this should make us afraid because I think there is there is a dynamic where when the Lord pours out grace, there's less tolerance for sin. And what, what I mean by that is that God judges sin less harshly in the context of less revelation, right? Like people ask me about um, Ananias and Sapphira in, in Acts chapter 5, right? They sell a plot of land and they give the money to the apostles, but they lie about the amount, and God strikes them dead, or Peter strikes them dead, however you interpret that, right? But the power of God strikes them dead. That seems like a really harsh punishment for the type of sin that is going on all over the church today, right? And my answer to that is, that, is it because it was an outpouring of the Spirit. In the time of revival, the standards of holiness become more severe and great. God expects you to repent of sin that he otherwise would not have expected to. And that's because we're all responsible to the degree of our revelation, Okay. The more revelation we have, the more God expects us to, to act in response to that revelation. That's why Jesus said, you know, if the miracles had been done in you, you know, Jerusalem, were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented, right? And that's why I, we're, God is holding them to this account. Why, that's why there's going to be judgment against the city of Jerusalem. This is in, you know, in, in the Gospels, Jesus talks about this. Um, and that's because when miracles are poured out, there is an expectation of greater holiness, all right, and um, it does seem like there is. This is part of a, a judgment, a pruning that's coming to the church, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing, and it's a scary thing, because the the type of sin that God might have permitted in a different age um, or a different time, it may be that He is giving warning to the church that He's not going to be permitting the same type of sin moving forward. I think it's possible, and for us that it's a scary thing like but it's a good thing it's a good thing and it's a scary thing right that we would ask the lord that he would bring he would expose sin in the church right he would expose this stuff okay it of course it should be exposed right but we should have humility because who knows what what type of sin the lord's going to expose in us okay i i tell you i'm already afraid <laughs> okay uh, you know, I tell my, my congregations, you know, it, it says in Scripture, don't let many of you become teachers because teachers will have a stricter judgment. And I'm like, God, I don't want to be a teacher then. <laughs> like, I want the most merciful judgment ever, Lord. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, I really think, you know, you should not teach unless you feel like God is, is telling you to, right? As, as in obedience to his command. Okay, because it really is scary, right, to be, the idea that our teaching is going to be judged by the Lord and we're going to be held to a stricter judgment, okay, that already scares me. But this idea that the Lord is 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 judging the church and judging leaders, he's not going to tolerate the same kind of sin that was maybe tolerated in the past, okay, that the level of holiness is increasing. This is a good thing. It's a good thing. And I, I just think, you know, when stuff like this happens to people like Mike Bickle, I just think we should be very careful about being harsh towards him because who knows what the Lord will demand of us? Who knows what the Lord will demand of me? Okay? Like, who knows? Because the, the nature of sin is that, you know, it, it seems not as bad to you as it does to God or to others. You know, that that's the nature of sin oftentimes. Okay? And so, who knows? Right? What we thought, like, maybe I thought I really repented of this and and it's okay, <laughs> but maybe God requires a fuller repentance, right? Maybe he requires that this sin be exposed publicly, 
that's that's just scare us, right? But this is this is my heart as a pastor. I just want my heart to be Lord on the on the day of testing. Give me the grace to say yes, Lord. If you're asking me, you know, to expose whatever in my life, Father, I pray on that day. Give me grace to say yes, and not just to me, but to all the people in the body of Christ. Because there's this there's this dynamic where the Lord gives us time to repent, right? He gives us a season to repent. And then if we won't, then he brings judgment. And it's always worse, right? It's always harder and worse when he brings judgment rather than we're being invited to correct ourselves, right? Lord, give us grace to repent from sin. Give us grace to fear you more than we fear for losing our reputations or losing our, you know, our positions of power or influence. And I think all of us, this is why we should be gentle and merciful even when we bring correction, right? Lest we ourselves fall into a greater sin. Because we don't know what it's like. I, I, I just say this because it's easy to point out leaders and be like, oh my gosh, you know, I can't believe these these Christian leaders, right? What frauds and fakes and hypocrites and all this kind of stuff. And I just want to warn against that type of attitude because I say lovingly, we don't understand what it's like um, having that type of power, okay? Having that type of influence, that type of expectation, or even that type of gifting and charisma, the more power and and influence and money you have, the more temptation increases. That's how it works, okay? So I, I always want to speak with humility on this because I don't know what it's like to have a huge ministry, okay? I don't know what it's like to have all these people, you know, impress with me and respect me, like, to that degree, and I, I, I just don't know. So I don't know how I would be able to handle, you know, it when God's saying, lay it down, <laughs> Right, I think I just think that's so difficult to do. I've had to lay down much smaller things, <laughs> right? And my, you know, my pushback against those that would speak harshly against fallen Christian leaders is, hey, I, this is my understanding. I think God would like to promote more people, more righteous people. The problem I think is He can't find people that He can give that much influence and power to that wouldn't be corrupted by it to some degree. If your heart is, man, God. Get rid of all these these fake leaders. Then my challenge to you lovingly is then you be the leader that you're looking for, right? That's my loving challenge. You be the leader. I think there's not enough righteous leaders. I think God is looking for great leaders that he can entrust with great authority and great influence. I think he wants that. The problem is that we're so dumb and immature <laughs> that, you know, he gives some of us, you know, some power and some money and we... And it and it kills us. It crushes us because of our own lack of character and maturity, right? And it's a collective thing. We're collectively responsible for this, for the state of the church, right? That's what I think why we should be careful against criticizing any particular leader overly much, right? To be clear, we do need to criticize leaders. I'm not saying we can't point out wrongdoing. We should. I'm just saying we should do it in a spirit of gentleness, right? In a spirit of gentleness. Um, because... God tells us that the standard that we use to others, he will use towards us. Again, that I think should scare the heck out of us. <laughs> right? Like, if we're, if we're overly harsh towards others, I do think that the Lord will be more harsh towards us in his judgment of us. And if we're super merciful to others, I think the Lord will be more merciful to us. I don't know about you, that makes me want to be so merciful to people. <laughs> like, like, I want God to be so merciful to me, Right? So this is my encouragement for all of us. Man, let's pursue the fear of the Lord and, and holiness in the church, both the spirit of humility and, and grace and, and, and mercy for those that the Lord exposes. Because 
man, it, there might be a day where he needs to expose us. Okay, there's a couple other issues that um, I want to address in this situation just to try and help us understand everything. Um, the first one is is control, right? Like a, this issue is not just you know sexual immorality and abuse of power, uh, but part of the abuse of power has to do with the control aspect here. And control is you know any attempt to manipulate. Um, or not give freedom to others, right? But you need, like, for example, in in the case of Mike Bickle, it seems like there were elements where he was trying to control, um, you know, the story about his son. I, again, I don't know the details what he did wrong exactly, but I know that that several of the other leaders felt like they were trying to get righteous accountability, and Mike Bickle was having these one-on-one conversations with everyone so that he could control the narrative, right? And that seems to be a theme. And um, I just want to comment on it briefly because, you know, as a leader in the body of Christ, I'll I'll say this, in my experience, I would say probably about 80% of the leaders that I've worked with have struggled with control, okay? Um, I'm I'm not putting out, I'm not putting that out to to blast those leaders. I'm just saying it's actually really common, okay? It's really common. And, um, you know, I think part of the reason why it's so high for me is because I work, I've worked a good amount in the Korean church and Koreans, I think we do struggle with control a good amount, okay? Um, but this is a, a common weakness in the body of Christ. It's the reason why ministries don't cooperate, right? Because there can be a, a sense of competition with other ministries and churches, and there can be jealousy, and there, you know, the sense of like we're trying to build the biggest ministry, we want it to be ours, and and we're afraid that people are going to leave, and the, all of these fall into this category of of leaders controlling things, and really where control really gets provoked is when leaders become afraid, right? In this case, it might have been you know maybe Mike Pickle was afraid that you know this this these secret sins from his past would be exposed right that could have been part of it right um or could have been uh, he could have been afraid that he would lose power you know or lose the organization or i there's so many different things right that um you know that that caused this fear to rise up within us and then we feel like we we can't let people do what they want we've got to make sure they do what i want them to do okay that's control and it's it's just really common in the church Okay, um, you know, I talked earlier about how I'm hopeful that God is purifying the church. I really am, right? I'm hopeful He's purifying the church, and I hope that in addition to sexual purity, right, amongst leaders, um, that there would also be a a, a a purity in terms of getting people freedom and not competing against the body of Christ, but cooperating with the body of Christ. I feel like this is actually one of the most important things that must happen in the church. Part of my heart in just talking about this briefly is just to say, like, we want to understand why leaders sometimes become controlling, and we want to recognize that it's important sometimes to defy them, okay? Like, that's an important thing, and um, the hard part is because in many churches, if you defy your leader, if you say no to your leader, um, the consequences can be pretty bad. Right? Sometimes you can, you know, have a leader rebuke you harshly. I've heard stories about people getting publicly rebuked by their leaders, right? Um, people can get kicked off of ministry teams or even kicked out of the church, or all this kind of stuff, right? There's so many bad things that can happen to you if you say no to a leader, right? B- but it's important. 
And it's even more important against leaders that struggle with control. It's really important to do, even if it costs you temporarily, because when we when we don't say no, we help facilitate controlling cultures. Um, in the case of Mars Hill, um, you know there, there was that podcast that Christianity Today did that kind of went through the drama of Mars Hill, and one of the one of the stories there was that Mark Driscoll was getting really controlling, and he he was trying to change the bylaws of the church to basically get rid of you know opposition from elders, and and a couple elders said, hey, we don't feel comfortable with this. This is you know we don't feel like this is wise or this is good, and they defied Mark Driscoll. And um, and it went really poorly for them, right? And part of that was that, that Mark Driscoll is a very skilled and charismatic leader, and he was able to kind of turn the you know the favor of the other elders against them and kick them out, all right? And that's a classic example of like spiritual abuse and manipulation. And the story is really fascinating. I would encourage you to give that podcast a listen if you haven't. Um, but you know all the elder all the other elders they went along with it and they later regretted it. Right, they later regretted it, and they understood they should have stood up to Mark, but they didn't. So I say that this happens even, you know, at at the highest levels of church leadership and the elder board and stuff like that. It it's hard, it's hard, especially when you're dealing with an extremely charismatic um, leader. It's very difficult sometimes to tell these leaders no, um, but I do think it's very important that we do so. All right, um, and so I say that to say. Right in these situations with with Mike Bickle, it's hard because on one level you have him um, potentially grooming um, or pursuing romantically these women who are much younger than than he is. Okay, and that's really difficult to put an expectation on them that they you know should be able to discern and say no <laughs> and defy him. Um, obviously they should have, but it's understandable. You know when they're that young and impressionable and they respect him so much and he's a leader, it's totally understandable uh, why that was hard for them to do. Okay. Um, in this case it's it's the other leaders, right? It's the other leaders. And you know sometimes um, we can have so much respect for a leader that it we we just want to trust him. And that's totally understandable. Um, but I would simply say there are times where we have to put our foot down and say no as a matter of conscience, and that's really important to keep the church healthy, all right? And so I, I just want to speak a word on this issue um, for people who have been wronged by controlling leadership, all right? And to be clear, you can have good leaders that sometimes are controlling, all right? You know, I've I just been a good man talking about people are mixed. That's, that absolutely happens all the time. All right, you have a leader who's really loving and caring, and you know, really cares about the Bible, and then he can do something out of character and act in a really controlling manner, and then people, you know, can say no, and then they can be railroaded and they can be kicked out of the church. Like I've seen all sorts of stuff happen, and um, you know, as a leader in the church, I just want to repent to you and say. I know this happened. Like, I get it. Like, this is painful, right? And a lot of people have experienced this type of pain. And, um, you know, my hope, this is my sincere desire and hope, is that God is bringing righteousness to this aspect of the church, right? Where leaders would not be so protective over their own ministries and churches and their way of doing things, but there would be really a spirit of cooperation and and honor and a, a, not so much of a need to, to compete or to jealously guard our people or our resources or whatever, um, but just a freedom, 
And I have a lot of hope that the Lord is raising up leaders um, that will be able to lead in this kind of spirit because I think the church really needs it. All right. When I when I talk about you know the unity that I'm praying for and seeking from the Lord and believing that God is is bringing the church into, it involves you know the church getting healthier with all this type of control stuff. Just have a couple more things to talk about. I do want to talk about prophecy because there was an element here about Mike Bickle communicated that his wife is going to die and that he would have to remarry and that this gave several younger girls hope that they could eventually marry Mike Bickle. Okay. Now, I don't know to what degree prophecy was a part of that. I mean, obviously, if you if you think you have some kind of revelation that your wife is going to pass away, something like that. Um, but this is, you know, pretty clearly prophetic abuse. Okay, this is pretty clearly prophetic abuse. And um, it, it's shocking to me that um, Mike Bickle would use, because he is somebody that I would have considered, you know, pretty mature in the use of prophecy. I've never heard him... Um, give some type of prophecy like that in any of his, you know, messages. But it, 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 I don't know. Okay, I don't know exactly how this was communicated. But generally, what I always do when I teach on prophecy is I always warn strongly about using prophecy when it concerns romance. All right, I think it's very dangerous because we have to have humility that when we're trying to hear from God, that whatever we actually do hear from Him gets mixed up with all of our own beliefs, theology, hopes, dreams, fears, you know, ignorances, all this kind of stuff. So the the analogy that I've heard before, it's like, you know, the word of God is like water. It's like pure water, but it's running through us and we're the pipe and we are dirty pipes, okay? So what comes out the other side is generally speaking not the perfect and pure word of God, um, especially when we're talking about low-level prophecies, Okay, I do believe there's different levels of prophecies. I believe there's higher level prophecies and lower level prophecies. This would be, you know, in the realm of low level prophecy, there, there's always mixture involved. Okay, when we're talking about impressions, right? I get this impression, like the Lord is speaking to me about this. That's different from getting like an open vision. An open vision would be like a movie playing in front of you. To be clear, I have never had an open vision in my life. Okay, I have had some pretty strong visions in my imagination. Um, these are not open visions. These would be closed visions, right, inside me. Um, and that would be a, a much lo- lower level of prophetic revelation. Um, and there's always going to be mixture, right? The lower level of revelation, the, the more mixture there is, generally speaking, okay? Um, and, and the problem with romance is that romance is so powerful in our hearts that it's very difficult to discern, you know, what is God and what is just my own feelings, all right, very difficult, and so um, that's why when I when I train people on on prophetic ministry and how to hear from the Lord, I always tell them be very careful with romance. Do not prophesy over people. You know, the Lord told me to marry you, or you to marry me, or anything like that. Don't do anything like that. Okay, and um, even when you're trying to discern from the Lord, Lord, is this somebody that I should date or should I marry? I think that's an okay thing to pray because you want peace from the Lord. Um, you, you don't want the sense that God does not want you to date this person or marry this person right? You don't want that. Um, But you don't want to go 100% off of your feelings about whether it's God or not, right? Um, Whenever I do trainings on engagement and things like that, I I will tell people you really want, you know, five or six criteria, right? You want um, your friends and family to feel good about the match, right? That's one example of um, one of the criterias you should use, right? Um, 
You want there to be no huge red flag issues like major drug addictions or lying about serious things, okay? Um, all of these things are important when we're making a, a decision about whom to date or marry, all right? You don't want to trust prophecy on who you're going to date or, or marry. That can be one component, but I always tell people to be very careful. Like you should, you should treat whatever prophetic words you get about romance with a huge grain of salt, okay? It might not be the Lord, okay? And that's really important in this um, because when we're untrained on how to receive prophetic words, we can be deceived in this in this sense, okay? Now, I, I've already been clear. I do believe that if it was used, if this word was used as a prophetic word, I believe that is a type of, of prophetic abuse or spiritual abuse, all right? But that's wrong. It's not wise, and it may even be um, purposefully manipulative, okay? And again, I don't know how the word was given. All right, um, so I don't know, but what I'm trying to to draw attention to is that it's there's not just a responsibility on the person giving the word. There's a responsibility on the person hearing the word. Okay, both of those things are important, and the reason why it's important to bring this up is because you know whenever these types of stories are are going out, what happens is people, you know, a lot of people online are like, see, all that prophecy stuff is is manip- manipulative mumbo jumbo, right? It's all it gives prophecy a bad name. All right. It gives prophecy a bad name. And um, so first of all, I just want to say, look, my paradigm of the church and, and the prophetic is that we are all really bad at the prophetic right now. Okay. Even the greatest prophets, in my opinion, all right, are still relatively bad compared to how we're, we're called to be. All right. If I, if I had to guess in 50 years, 100 years or whatever, I think we'll be a lot more mature with prophecy. I, you know, it, it, in my paradigm, Prophecy is is a relatively recent restoration to the church, okay? Meaning I believe prophecy has always been here throughout the church age, but what we see is that in the beginning of the 20th century, there's a general restoration of the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit through the Pentecostal revivals, Azusa Street and all those. I believe that Pentecostalism brought a general revelation to the body of Christ that the gifts of the Spirit were for today right? And then as what's happened is we've gotten better and better. And then, you know, some people, uh, these are all theories but and arguments, right? But some people argue that in the 1980s, there was a, a restoration of the, the office of the prophet. And that's when you have all of these prophets come on the on the national scene, at least here in America, right? Guys like Bob Jones and, you know, Paul Kane and, and a number of these guys. And they kind of make prophecy popular and people start really seeking it. And my my only point in giving that paradigm, it's not that I think that that paradigm is for sure correct, okay? But I do think that there's a lot of truth in that paradigm. And the idea is simply this, I believe the church is being restored and prophecy is, is, is a relatively new restoration. And the point is, is simply this, we're not that good at it, okay? We're not that good at it. And so we have to have we have to grow in wisdom both in order to give accurate prophetic words but also to receive prophetic accurate words and there's responsibility on both parties okay all words are to be tested all prophetic words are to be tested okay i think another principle that's important is all prophetic words outside of scripture are conditional all right i think that's a true principle okay so if somebody prophesies you know thus saith the lord you're going to marry me okay that might be wrong <laughs> okay so um, it, it, it's important that we that we test these these things and that people be trained in it. Okay, now IHOP, you know, they do a lot of prophecy there, and I would regard them as one of the more um, mature 
you know, prophetic communities out there, all right? And to be clear, like, you know, there's a wide spectrum here, and, and, and I'm, I've already made the case that none of us are, are super matured, okay? Um, but that's why it's kind of surprising to me that you have the senior leader at IHOP saying this kind of stuff. This is the type of thing that I would expect to be corrected if it was happening at my church, right, or at, at any of these churches that regularly practice prophecy. Like, if they heard any word like that, I would hope that it would be corrected and that there would be a general understanding that there's a lot of danger when it comes to romance. And you should never be prophesying that, that you know, your your spouse is going to die and that you might remarry this person. Okay, that, that's just so, that's such a gross prophecy. Okay, so again, I'm really just speaking at this about this from a distance because I didn't hear what actually happened or the way the word was given or whether it was even given in a prophetic sense or whether it was misunderstanding, I don't know. All I want to say is that for people who are hearing these stories about what's going on here, I don't want them thinking that in charismatic circles, this is what always happens. You have all these, you know, weird prophetic words about your spouse dying and, and you're going to marry this person. Look, that does that stuff does happen, but as a pastor, that's the type of stuff that I'm really always trying to correct because it's so dangerous and it gives a bad name. All right, it gives a bad name to the gift of prophecy. All right, so my my hope is, you know, when we, when we hear some of these stories that it wouldn't stumble us, right? Let's, you know, from what I understand, these things were given more early on in Mike Bickle's pastoring career. And I, I think I heard or read some comments that he kind of regretted. Um, he regretted some of those things later on. I would assume that, that that's probably true, okay? But again, I don't know. Okay, so that's what's going on with this whole Mike Pickle story as of, you know, February 2024. Um, I expect that we probably will get a, a, a much fuller investigation, all right? And I expect that there might be another name or two added to the list, if I had to guess. Um, look, it's also possible that Mike Bickle will be completely exonerated. I think that's possible. At this point, I think it's unlikely, all right? Um, and so this is, you know, my encouragement to everyone um, is, hey, let's pray that God would bring full exposure to sin that was committed um, here at, at IHOP, but also in the larger body of Christ, okay? A lot of the sexual sin is being exposed right now, which is a good thing, okay? It's a good thing. It's healthy. It's going to help so many pastors have more purity in the times that are coming if there are, are many exposures, okay? I do believe that we will see many more pastors um, be exposed to this thing, but I, I, I really also just want to say it's it's not just about pastors, okay? Um, there's, I believe the Lord is calling forth leaders in the body of Christ all over the body, not just in the church, not just amongst elders and, and, and preachers, although of course elders and preachers really need to be held to a higher standard, but I believe that the Lord is calling forth holiness all throughout the body because he wants to anoint so many different leaders in the body of Christ. And for all of us, my hope is that we would grow in the fear of the Lord in our in our in our own grace to live holy lives. That's my prayers. I've been, you know, watching this from a distance, and and this is my heart for those people who um, have been involved at IHOP or involved in House of Prayers. My my hope is that we would take the good, that we would take what I believe is from the Lord, that we would not be discouraged. Right? Let's pray that the Lord would take what the enemy meant for evil and use it to good. It's not good. It's not evil when God's judgment comes. All right. Scripture says that when the judgments of the Lord come, people learn to fear the Lord. That is a wonderful and beautiful thing. And we, and we should desire that because it gives us all 
grace to live in a whole in a more holy manner. And that's my hope for all of this. For anybody struggling with disappointment and and disillusionment, you know, just as a leader in the body of Christ, I just want to say, you know, repent to you guys because this is this is not just an IHOP thing. This is a church-wide thing. So many leaders um, are being exposed, and I, I simply want to say, man, let's pray for the body of Christ that the body of Christ would be mature. Right, that God would raise up godly leaders, and maybe you feel a calling on your life to grow um, into a, a place of leadership. But the Lord would use you in leadership in the church or outside of the church, um, man. And then I pray that you would also grow in holiness. And let's have this prayer for the entire church. And even though we've had a season of you know fight infighting and division through all this drama, I'm hopeful that we're going to arise from this um, with even greater unity, with even greater unity with even greater trust. This is this is how I think it works. If we go through the trials correctly, it results in an even greater blessing. And so that's my hope for everyone involved. Um, if you do have any questions about anything that I've said or about this issue in general, you're welcome to contact me. Um, if, you, if you can message, you can email admin at therighteousremnant.org to send us an email or you can contact us on social media. I will warn that I'm a little slow on replying to social media because I just don't check the messages that often. All right, God bless you guys. Hope you have a wonderful week. Okay, just as a quick addendum here, I literally hit the publish button for this latest podcast episode and um, one minute later, I got an email from the International House of Prayer <laughs> and um, they, uh, this is an email from the leadership team and they're basically coming out and saying, hey, we now consider that Mike Bickle um, sexually abused and manipulated Jane Doe and Tammy Woods, who is a minor. We completely condemn it, they say. Um, they believe that the messages that he preached on October 13th and the 20th were manipulative attempts to construct a narrative of innocence concerning himself. Okay, so, and then they are apologizing for the way they acted as a leadership team. So this is all a really good sign. Okay, um, it looks like the leadership team has come to a place where they recognize that Bickle's um, actions were wrong, and I would guess that they're going to be fully on board to, you know, put together a investigation um, into what's going on. And so this is a, a really good sign. And you know, my my heart is simply this: at this point, it does seem that Mike Bickle has done these things. Um, only the Lord truly knows, but. Yeah, my, my hope and my prayer is that there would be full and complete repentance. And I definitely believe that's possible, right? I definitely believe that's possible. So, amen. Thank God.